we proceed under the final aspect of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible? There is a when to the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy, or the matter of time enters into the availability of God's pardoning grace. We cannot be saved whenever we may choose, nor can we be saved at all times in God's economy. We were dwelling upon the fact that death finally terminates all possibilities of being reconciled to God and forgiven of our sins. We read in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Our blessed Lord made this sad fact clear in his teachings and warnings. Thus, if men reject the word of God, the movings of the Holy Spirit, and the pleadings of God's servants in this life, there is utterly no hope of their salvation or reconciliation to God in life after death. The Bible reveals that men will be painfully conscious and torment themselves for their sin and rebellion against God. The Lord Jesus told us beforehand what he someday will say to those who have rejected him. In Matthew 25, verse 41, we read, Then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Then in verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So here we have the perpetual division of mankind, those who have rejected the grace of God into everlasting torment, and those who have been reconciled to God into life eternal. Death, therefore, terminates the opportunity of forgiveness and forever shuts up the loving kindness and mercy of God toward us. In the face of the frequent tragedies of life, we have no guarantee of anything except the all-important present, even as James admonished us in his fourth chapter, verses 13 to 15, where we read, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. In other words, man's long time planning for his own selfish endeavors. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For what ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So our life is a very delicate thing, and if we pass off our reconciliation to God day by day, we do not know when death will overtake us. But when it does, that will terminate all opportunities for mercy. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
But is our fourth consideration under the matter of time as a limitation upon God's mercy, we consider that the present state of things in this world is not going to continue forever, as the Lord Jesus set forth in the great Olivet Discourse. In Matthew 24, verse 14, we read these words setting forth this profound fact that things are not going to continue as they are forever, and thus God's mercy will not be available forever in the same manner as it is now available. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So our Lord Jesus affirmed that there would be an end of the gracious opportunities of his abundant salvation. Now God knows that so difficult is it to bring men to a willing submission to himself, and so disappointing have been the efforts of the Godhead to persuade men to forsake the foolishness of sin and embrace the happy pathway of holiness, that the reign of righteousness on earth will not be achieved through the preaching of the gospel. Many scriptures testify of the inner feelings of the Godhead in this sad matter. We refer back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 where we have the account of God's thinking before the flood. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. Verse 5, And when God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Then verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh hath corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This records God's painful disappointment with man. While he made such glorious plans for man's happiness and gave him such wonderful endowments, and after the fall into sin, made a way of salvation by which man could be reconciled back to himself, and live in happy fellowship. Yet men turn the glorious endowments to their own perversions and grieve the great heart of God. In the 32nd chapter of Exodus, verses 7 to 10, we read of God's sad experience with Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. As the account goes on, Moses uh, uttered his great intercessory prayer for Israel, and God changed his mind and extended mercy to his people. But what a tragic lesson this became to God, that they were stiff-necked and refused to walk in his ways of truth. In the 14th chapter of the Psalms, verses 1 to 3, we read concerning the persistence, rebellion of men. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So tragic was God's observation toward his creature man. The prophet Isaiah had a tremendous challenge as he prophesied and pled with the wayfaring nation of Israel. And in the 30th chapter, verses 8 to 13, we read, now go, write it before them in a table, God is speaking to him, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, Prophesy deceits. What a challenge this was to faithfulness, as they were insistent on compromising and twisting the truth of the living God. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. They not only rejected the grace of God and the pleadings of God, but they said, that they would rather that God didn't bother them in their sins, cause him to cease from before us. Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. So as they rather requested that God would leave them alone, what a tragic development that became in the mind and heart of God. So God became conscious that man would not respond to his gracious provisions. And the great difficulty it was to persuade men to repent and be happy and content in a life of holiness. In the 65th chapter of Isaiah, verses 2 and 3, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face. 
that sacrificeth in the gardens, and burned incense upon the altars of brick. Then we come to the New Testament, and we see the tender words of our Lord and Savior, as in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, and verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. How tragic were God's lessons. In the first chapter of John, and verse 11 we read, the sad attitude toward our Lord Jesus when he came. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Thus God is determined to bring judgment upon the world of men because of the persistency of men's sin. And time, therefore, becomes a limitation upon the duration of God's period of mercy. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so gracious for thy long-suffering and thy love that thou dost plead with men so incessantly and so tenderly. How we pray that many may avail themselves of the day of grace. Come to thee, Lord Jesus, as the Savior, exercising faith, having repented of sin. Be reconciled to thee, our God, and go on to live happily in thy presence. In Jesus' name, amen.